Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, uh, Omahi? <laughs> uh, listen, given your condition, I'm surprised, man, you tried that, bro. Well, there, there was a little hiccup in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you already you already warned me, man, that you didn't have, you know, you, you, you're about 80%. So, man, I'm like, I, what's he going to do this time, man? Where's he going to yeah, go with this? So I'm about 80%. You know, coming out of the G3 conference, I brought back uh, what they called a condition known as acute sinusitis. Uh, what mm-hmm. was more commonly known as a sinus infection. Actually, I think Derek Thomas gave this to me. Uh, so Der- Derek Thomas was in the green room when I was in there, uh, mm-hmm. uh, one, during one of the, the conference days. And, uh, man, he was, he was really in bad shape. So, wow. uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame it on Derek Thomas, man. So nice. yeah, I'm about 80% with my voice. But I'm going to try to soldier through this, man. You and I okay. both veterans, man. We know about, you know, landing on the line and everything, man. So right, I'm going to try to right. soldier through this, uh, and we'll see what happens, man. But how you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. Excited to be back. Um, th- this is, I mean, besides, you know, all the traveling we've been doing, both to Truth Matters Conference G3, the break that we took over the, uh, the holidays, man, it's been a minute since we've been back in the saddle like this, you know? Yeah, this is close to, Three months. No, uh, has it been that long? It's been, this is close to three months since we've been back behind our respective microphones. Wow. Because of those two events, the Truth Matters Conference at Grace Church out here in California, and then mm-hmm. we were on the other end of the coast, um, the East Coast, back in Atlanta, my hometown for the G3 conference right. just last week. So, and then we had that, you know, Christmas break in between that. So, yeah, it's been a minute, man. Well, so I'm glad uh, to, it's be good back, to be back. Yeah, yeah, definitely glad to be back. So, uh, you know, here we are fresh from our live recording of the Just Thinking podcast at the 2020 G3 conference in my hometown of ATL, where we tackled the topic of woke worship. But Omaha, before we go any further, I want to take this opportunity to again thank the good Dr. Josh Bice and everyone back at Praise Mill Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia, who are to be commended for their incredibly selfless hospitality that they demonstrated us towards the, I'm sorry, during the conference and all the days, even before and afterwards. Mm -hmm. But before we go any further, Omaha, and we don't normally do this, but we have a special dedication for this episode on woke worship part two. I want to turn it over to you, brother, so you can mention what this dedication is all about. Well, I, I, I wanted to do this and, and so I'm glad you, you brought up here and, uh, really excited to do this because we don't normally, this is kind of out of, out of our norm, but I wanted to fulfill a promise uh, to give a shout out to a very special fan of the show. And so I want to give a, a shout out to, to Gabriel Walker. Uh, he is age nine. He's a fan 
of the show. Now, Gabriel caught me, man, going out of the doorway uh, during a break at the G3 conference. And mm-hmm. as he was walk, as I was walking in, rather, he was walking out with his family. And I heard this little voice say, Hey, that, that's Virgil Walker. Now, what shocked me is nobody knows my first and last name. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> so they, they know me as Omaha. So you, you know, I was shocked, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, who knows, who actually knows my first and last name? Mm-hmm. Well, here was this nine year old. With his parents, uh, Luis and Kim Walker of Virginia, obviously they were fans of the show, uh, and they allowed him to to listen in. And now I have no idea how he recognized me, other than he must have listened to our our live show, uh, and he saw us on the big screens in the main session uh, the, on the day of the show. However, he knew who I was, and then on, on the next day uh, after that event, man, he he located you as well. Yep. Yep. And, and and, 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 knew, and knew who I was. Absolutely. Had had your name and everything and kind of interacted with us for a bit. And, and uh, I, I think I think we kind of got got to him as a little, little overwhelming. Both of us there and kind of engaged him. He he got he got a little shy. But, man, it was great to meet him. And uh, we told him that on this next episode, uh, we wanted to give a shout out to one of our biggest fans, Gabriel Walker of Virginia. And just a special thanks to his his parents. Uh, we got to meet Kim Walker, Luis. Uh, I, I saw Luis heading out, but hadn't had, didn't have the chance to talk to him, but got to engage her as well. And so j- I just want to thank them and Gabriel in particular, just for making G3 a- an extra special event uh, for, for myself. And I know for you as well, Daryl. And you know, if you ask Gabriel, Gabriel will tell you that he's our number one fan, not right. just one of our biggest fans. Right. Well, Gabriel will tell you now, as you mentioned, Omaha, Gabriel's only nine years old. Right. But when Gabriel walked up to me, I think you were uh, you were there as well with his mother Kim. I think he mm-hmm. took a couple seconds to beatbox the intro. Right. To the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he just did an impromptu did. beatbox of he the did. of the Just Thinking uh, intro music. Right, right. And uh, right. so yeah, so we were we were privileged to be able to take a picture with him yeah. and holding up the number one finger because Gabriel will tell you without hesitation that not only is he one of our biggest fans, yes. he is our biggest fan. So, yes. like you said, Virgil, we made a commitment to Gabe. That at this next episode, we would make it a point to dedicate this episode to our number one fan, Gabriel Walker. So shout out, Gabriel. Absolutely. Much love to you, brother, and to Luis and Kim as well. We love you guys. So Absolutely. Now, having done that, as I mentioned uh, during the live recording at the G3 conference, this year's conference, this year's G3 conference, if I can get that out, was my first. That was my first time attending a G3 conference, even though I live in Atlanta all my life and the G3 conferences always held in Atlanta. I was never able to get it, get away to get the time away to attend the conference, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed being able to sit alongside you Omaha during the live recording that we did yeah. as well as having the honor to sit in on a Q and a panel with such well-respected men as Phil Johnson from grace to you, Tom Buck and uh, Dr. Joel Beakey as well. So mm-hmm. it's truly an experience I'll always remember. And I'm already looking forward to the next G3 conference in October of 2021. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, you're you're a veteran, Omaha, of many G3 conferences. So is there right. anything you'd like to add about this year's conference before we dive into our topic for this episode? Uh, I mean, a veteran, I mean, I've, I've been to three, I think maybe four of these events as well. And for me, this this pre, this this G three will be one I will absolutely never forget. I had the opportunity. I I, I want to rather take the opportunity to to like you did thank Josh Bice. Um, and it was just an amazing opportunity that he provided for us on just thinking uh, to use that platform 
uh, to, to, to get our information out, to share what we did with those, with the people that, that were there. It's something that I will never forget, man. You want to add to that all the fellowship with mm-hmm. the fans of the show. I mean, that was, that was absolutely overwhelming. There, there, there was the family reunion like atmosphere of the entire conference as we, as we had an opportunity to connect with the guys from Founders Ministries. You mentioned Dr. Tom Askell, mm-hmm. Jared Longshore, uh, the guys from Cross Politic and many mm-hmm. others, man. It was absolutely Amazing. Now, while you were preparing to sit on the panel, the Q&A panel with the likes of Phil Johnson, Dr. Tom Buck and Dr. Joe Beakey, uh, I had uh, I, I had the opportunity. It was, it was Tom Askell. I apologize. It was Tom Askell that was on the on the platform. I, I had the opportunity, man, to sit uh, on the cross politic couch. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture with Dr. James White. Yeah, yeah Dr. James White and Douglas uh, Wilson. Man, I have to admit, sitting between those two men. Uh, while being interviewed by Chocolate Knox and by Gabe and by and Pastor Toby, man, it was an incredible experience. And so just all all the way around, I, I just want to take a moment to say thanks. And and the folks that I, I really want to thank uh, are, are the fans of this show. I mean, yes. it was it was their interest and support of the show that made those kinds of opportunities absolutely possible. So from the from the bottom of our hearts, man, we want to thank you, the fans, those who listen to the show for following, liking, sharing, subscribing, uh, and letting other people know about just thinking that your, your efforts to do that got uh, helped us to get on the radar screens of some of these folks that are now asking us to come and participate. So we're we're incredibly incredibly grateful both for your participation and God's providence in it all. You know, on that note, speaking of our listeners and our supporters uh, and our fans and those who help put the word out about the Just Thinking podcast, you know, Omaha, we've done a listener appreciation episode before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want everyone to know, everyone who's listening to this right now, who's within the sound of my voice, please understand that we appreciate every single one of you. We do not take you for granted at all. You know, with this being my first G3 conference, and I've said this to you, Omaha, I've also expressed this to uh, Dwayne Atkinson, who does all our post-production, that I was really blown away uh, by the reach of the Just Thinking podcast. I had mm-hmm. no idea yeah. that uh, many people view this uh, as a ministry. And, and uh, you know, you and I don't necessarily use that word. We talk about mm-hmm. what we do when we get behind the microphones uh, right, right. when we do, such as we're doing here today. But hearing that, hearing it described that way by other people. Right, right. This kind hey, of wanna, really puts it, yeah. It does. They say, they say, I want to, hey, I want hey, thank you for your ministry. And I'm going, right. wow, they, we're just two guys who love talking about these topics. Get on the mic. I get the, I get the chance every week to talk to my brother about <clears throat> stuff that I'm, I'm more interested in hearing what you're going to say about something that we've brought up or studied. And, and I, I mean, you've expressed to me the same thing, man, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about X, mm-hmm. Y, or Z. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of how we've, we've viewed it. I mean, and so it's, it, it is, it's overwhelming. Yeah, so I mentioned at the top of this episode, the live recording that we did at the G3 conference, uh, and we titled that episode Woke Worship. Now, I don't have an exact count of how many were in attendance at that live recording, but from pictures and videos I've seen, the recording was really well attended. Mm -hmm. By the way, in case you were unable to be at the live recording in person, the one that we did at G3, that episode is now available to subscribers of the Just Thinking podcast, and you can also listen online at the bar podcast. That's the B-A-R podcast.com slash JT. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet on woke worship part one, you may want to pause here and go check that one out to give you some context, some additional context rather on what we're going to be talking about uh, in this episode, which we've entitled woke worship part two. 
Now, what's interesting about the live episode we did on woke worship Omaha is that because of the time constraints that were inherent with the overall conference schedule, we were limited to about 50 minutes for that live episode, which on average is about half the amount of time we would normally <laughs> right, need right. to record an episode. And right. I think that time limitation may have factored into the thinking of many people who attended the live recording, as well as many who listened to the episode after it was released. Those people asked us to consider doing a kind of woke worship part two. Now, my initial thoughts were that a woke worship part two wasn't really necessary because we pretty much covered at G3 what the main elements of what woke worship, or as I termed it, identity ecclesiology is. Mm-hmm. But that was before I came across an article in Christianity Today. I recently came across an article in Christianity Today entitled More Multiracial Churches Led by Black and Hispanic Pastors. Okay? Christianity Today article entitled More Multiracial Churches Led by Black and Hispanic Pastors. Now, notwithstanding the title of the article, which was an attention grabber in its own right, as I read through the article, I couldn't help reflecting on what we discussed during the live episode we did at G3 Omaha on woke worship and how this Christianity Today article is a prime example of why it was necessary for us to commit an episode to the topic of identity ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that in light of a comment I made during the G3 live episode, which was that the mission of the church is not to look more like you. The mission of the church is to help you look more like Christ. Now, again, for the benefit of those who haven't yet had the opportunity to listen to the episode we did on Walk Worship Part 1, I defined identity ecclesiology this way. Okay, here's my de- I, I, a definition of that term that I coined that I call identity ecclesiology. Here's that definition. Identity ecclesiology is having a paradigm of the local church in which its style of preaching, its style of music, the ethnic composition of its congregation, the sociocultural elements that comprise the worship service, pretty much anything that makes attending church more worthwhile to you personally. Okay? Personally. In other words, all the aesthetic qualities that make up how a church conducts its worship service must be such that you personally identify with or approve of it before you will associate yourself with that church. Okay? So that is what woke worship or identity ecclesiology is by definition. It is inverting the mission of the church to make the purpose of the church to be all about you and your personal preferences and druthers, as opposed to seeing the mission of the church for what it really is. The preaching, the glorifying and the exalting of the name and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Okay. But Omaha, this Christianity Today article is Identity ecclesiology on steroids. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add before we dive into this article in more detail, man? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I want to add this briefly. One of the things I appreciate about our show is that we actually take the time to define what we mean by what we say. Now, I, I know Indeed. I say that, I know I say that every time. However, it's worth repeating in a cultural context where ambiguity and a lack of clarity abound. And I also know that we have new listeners to the show all the time that may not be aware uh, that, that we're defining our terms and that that's common practice on just thinking. Uh, 
<clears throat> furthermore, I mean, I thought that one of the mic drops of the, there were a number of mic drops during during uh, during that time. I mean, that that I, I loved what you said was when you said when you defined identity ecclesiology, where you said that the mission of the church is not to look more like you. The mission of the church is to help you look more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've witnessed that particular quote tweeted everywhere as it should be. And what's been helpful for me, even as we've done the show, is to think about that particular quote in light of the kinds of stories like the one we're covering from Christianity Today. Uh, our listeners who think that we just cherry pick this particular article for our own purposes, <clears throat> I mentioned during the live recording that we've covered this topic in a variety of ways on numerous previous episodes of Just Thinking. In fact, man, I'll say this and turn it back over to you. This past week, uh, uh, there was a particular tweet, and I know you saw it, by by, uh, by Phil Johnson, uh, where he posted a New York Times article with the headline, I am I'm a queer Nigerian, and it's hard to find a church community. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, I know you saw that. Yes. My, 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 and that crazy, my point. You know, my point, you know, you know what I thought? Let me just interject. When I yeah, saw yeah. that headline, the first thought I had was, yeah, it should be hard for you to find a church. <laughs> It should be hard. <laughs> right, 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 right. But my point in bringing this up is that these kinds of stories are everywhere. And evangelicalism, which has welcomed pragmatism, can easily find itself holding a soft spot for these kinds of stories as they embrace a level of sentimental inclusivism found nowhere in the scripture. Right. And that's exactly my point about why it should be hard for that Nigerian queer person to find a church. Right, right. It should be hard. You know, right. we, 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 I don't know if you remember Omaha, but you know, when I was a little boy, I used to watch a ton of cartoons. And one of my favorite cartoons was the Flintstones. And one of my mm-hmm. favorite, some of my favorite Flintstones episodes was when, when Fred Flintstone and Barney would go to the Water Buffalo Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you remember those? And, and I they do, were, I do. They, they were the Buffalo, Water Buffalo hats, man. And they were there, they, they sent a little Water Buffalo, uh, uh, you know, membership pledge or whatever that thing yes, is. Yes, yes. You know, they call the water uh, meetings at the Water Buffalo Club. They were all secret and everything. But, you know, when you talk about what you just mentioned about evangelism having a soft spot mm-hmm. for these kind of things, you know, that kind of reduces the church to just a club. Absolutely. It's just a Absolutely. social club. Well, yeah, everybody can come in. You know, you can just, everybody's welcome. Yep. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here a little bit, but it's for a reason because I'm going to talk about this later uh, as, as we go through this, this topic on woke worship part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's the visage of the church that many people have. It's just a, a social club where everybody's yep. welcome. Yep. Yep. Everybody's welcome. And you know, I'm high. I wish I, I wish I really wish we had time to read this article verbatim to our listeners. Right. And I say that because what's in this article, when you read it, with an objective eye, is woke worship run amok? Okay. This article is dated January 17, 2020. And the byline is by a woman named Adele M. Banks. Adele Banks is a Texas-based writer for Religion News Service. Now, to give our listeners a sense of the substance and essence of what this article is all about, and to set the stage for our commentary on it, I want to read the first few paragraphs directly from their article as it appears on the Christianity Today website. Okay, so I'm going to read the first few paragraphs verbatim from this article to just kind of set the stage for what we're going to be dealing with here in this episode on woke worship part two. I quote from the article, quote, for four hours at a megachurch outside of Dallas, Pastors of color share their personal stories of leading a multi-ethnic church. One, 
a lead pastor of a Southern Baptist congregation in Salt Lake City, recalls the, quote, honest conversations, unquote, he had with his 10-member leadership team before it agreed that he would present, quote, both sides, unquote, of the controversy over quarterback Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protests at NFL games. A founding elder of a fledgling Cincinnati congregation expressed satisfaction with her, quote, phenomenal church, unquote, but said the song Lift Every Voice and Sing, a hymn often called the Black National Anthem that most African-American churchgoers churchgoers learn in childhood, is so rarely featured at her multi-ethnic church that her younger daughter learned it instead from Beyonce's version. I'm continuing to quote from the article. A pastor of a church in Atlanta adapted his multicultural services so that its prayers, food, and sermon illustrations included not only traditions of blacks and whites, but those of a member from India who had noted that his culture had not been acknowledged. Last paragraph. Those leaders who met at Mosaic's Global Network's multi-ethnic church conference in November are part of a decades-long still burgeoning movement to integrate Christian worship services aiming to refute the oft-quoted saying by Martin Luther King Jr. that Sunday mornings are the most segregated time of the week in the United States, unquote. So all of that was verbatim from the Christianity Today article dealing with the the fact that there are more uh, multi-ethnic churches being led by black and Hispanic pastors. So in the portion of the article that I just read, we have mentioned yet again the oft-quoted and unsubstantiated assertion by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from 1960 that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. Now, those who have listened to our episode on Walk Worship Part 1 have already heard our rebuttal to that statement by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who, with all due respect, was, in my personal opinion, the original woke worshiper. (laughs) But be that as it may, I'm not going to spend any more time commenting on that. If our listeners want to hear more about our thoughts on that comment by Dr. King, they can go back and listen to Walk Worship Part 1. But what I do want to do, I want for our listeners to understand what is happening here. Please understand what is happening here. I want them to understand what is going on within these churches that place such a focus and primacy on being woke over being spiritually mature. What's happening here, Omaha, is representative of the old idiom of the tail wagging the dog Mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I like how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a practicing physician before being called by God to preach the gospel, Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He said, I never let the patient write the prescription. Mm-hmm. But in contrast to those words from Martin Lloyd-Jones, this emphasis within the evangelical church on multi-ethnicity is effectively resulted in the patient writing the prescription. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen again to these situations that are highlighted in that Christianity Today article. A pastor in Atlanta had to, ad- had to adapt his services so that the prayers, the food, and even his sermon illustrations were such that a member from India wouldn't have his feelings hurt because his Indian culture hadn't been acknowledged. Okay, another one, an elder at a church in Cincinnati was offended over the fact that the church doesn't sing the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing often enough for her liking. So instead, her poor little daughter had to learn the song from Beyonce. And then 
a pastor at an SBC church in Salt Lake City of all places, one of the most religiously conservative cities in America, felt he needed to deliver a message to his congregation about Colin Ka Kaepernick kneeling during the National Adam in order to appease his own woke sensitivities. I mean, really, where is the gospel in any of this? Right. What you got to say about this? Omar? Man, there's there's first of all, there's there's so much from this. This and this is just a portion of the article that you read. I mean, we, we you, yes, you, you said at the top, this is not the whole of the article. This is just right. a, a portion of the article. And, and this portion is absolutely so disgusting. I don't even know where to begin. I, I'm, I almost interrupted you when you read the portion of the article that labeled the Dallas pastors as the pastors of color. Yes. Pa pastors of color. I mean, that's what, a new, that's a new POC. That's ridiculous. What kind of self-absorbed, self-serving, ethnocentric kind of title is that? Pastors of color. Are we being I mean, this is nonsense. I mean, are we being serious with this? The only purpose for the use of a term like pastors of color in the article is for the purpose of forcing the reader, the reader of the article to recognize their need to genuflect to the overdose of victimology that follows in the piece. I mean, Bruh. it's, it's whoa, absolutely. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Cue the mascot. <laughs> Cue the mascot on that one, bro. Bird. That's insane. That was so nice, bro. That was so nice. I'm going to have to ask you to say it twice. Bro. That's insane. I, I, I said the purpose of the use of the label pastors of color in the article. This is this is the this is the person who's writing right. the article that's, that's using this. The purpose for the use of the art of the title is for the purpose of forcing the reader to recognize their need to genuflect to the overdose of victimology that follows in the piece. Overdose of victimology, bro. I love that, man. It's I an love that. it's an overdose of victimology. When then what what then follows is a litany of grievances by the self absorbed. None, none of here's the crazy part, bro. None of this could stand up. In the light of the Christian martyrdom of the first, second, or third century church, no, not a right. bit of it. Right. I, I'm I'm beginning to view these kinds of articles as an exposure of the judgment of God on woke evangelicalism. Wow! And, and here's the crazy part: I actually, I absolutely mean that seriously. Look how far woke Christianity has fallen when compared to heroes of the faith like John Huss or William Tyndale or John Wycliffe and so many others. These, these quote, the, what, what they're talking about in the article, the quote unquote pastors of color, they're complaining that they had to learn a hymn from Beyonce rather than from their church. The, the crazy part is if you go back and look, this hymn, Lift Every Voice and Sing, mm -hmm. the, the so-called black national anthem, it mm -hmm. was originally a poem Put to music, not to honor God, but to honor Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Mm, that's what that's what it was for. And and the complaint is that a child had to learn this from Beyonce. This is absolutely ridiculous. Compare this complaint to the men like those I've mentioned who gave their lives for so much more than a so-called hymn written to a, a president of the United States. I'll say this and turn things back over to you. It was Leonard Ravenhill who who said uh, that he said this quote: "The early church." was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Now, I'll, wow. I'll only, yeah, I'll only add this, that the woke church is married to power, partiality, and to pretense. And this is the only thing that can explain the incessant complaints about nothingness. Woke evangelicals have succeeded in benefiting from the privilege that they've apprehended from white evangelicals who have bowed the knee 
to the ideas associated with white guilt. It's absolutely ludicrous. Bro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bird. It's Bro. crazy. Hold on, man. You're wearing the cap today, aren't you? You're yes, sir. I, I've got I've got the just thinking cap on. Yeah, that's what that's what that fire. That's what's happening. From. That's oh, what's that happening. was fire. <laughs> that was fire, man. And I'm glad you laid it out there because you're telling the truth. Absolutely, you're telling the absolute truth. Listen, yeah. I love that overdose of victimhood. Yep. Overdose of victimhood. Yep. You know, uh, Omaha in First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-two and twenty-three, the Apostle Paul declared this. He says, "For indeed, Jews ask for signs." And Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Now, I mentioned that text in First Corinthians one verses 22 and 23. I mentioned that text Omaha because we are living in a time when, you know, to be perfectly blunt about it. Jesus Christ simply is not enough for many people who profess to be Christian. The second person of the Trinity, just think about this. The second person of the Trinity, the pre-existent son of God, who in accordance with God's foreordained plan to redeem his elect, who left his throne in heaven to come into this sin sick, sin depraved world in human flesh to live a perfect and sinless life, only to die a horrific and brutal death on a cross to rescue sinners like you and me from the wrath of an altogether holy and righteous God is not enough for them. What these people want in a church is to be entertained. They want to be catered to. They want to be made the center of attention by having their felt needs met. And when I say have their felt needs met, I mean all of them. They want all their felt needs met. What they want is what I call a la carte ecclesiology. Mm. A la carte ecclesiology is to say that they want a church that caters to their every personal whim and wish from an experiential standpoint, okay, mm-hmm. these kind of people remind me of the people in Mark chapter 15, verse 32, who, as Jesus was dying on the cross, mocked him and mm. said this, well, let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Right. That's Mark fifteen thirty-two. Mm-hmm. In other words, what these people want, these a la carte Christians, what they want, what they want the church, they want the church to exist for the sole purpose of meeting their subjective sociocultural demands and expectations mm-hmm. to submit. They want the church to submit itself to their personal preferences and predilections and to serve them individually as if attending a worship service were tantamount to being in an ecclesiastical buffet line where you get to pick <laughs> and choose the items you like and ignore the ones you don't. Yeah, yeah. That's why I call them a la carte Christians. Yeah. That kind of mindset, that kind of mindset in Omaha is born from the misguided idea that the church is about you. Yeah. That it exists to serve and submit to you. Now, of course, there are duties and responsibilities to which the church is obligated, such as caring for widows and orphans. But the question is this. The fundamental question is this. To whom is the church obligated? With regard to those duties and responsibilities. That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only, there's only one answer to that question. And that answer is that the church is obligated to Jesus Christ alone. Amen. 
Thoughts on Mahal? No, I, I, I love it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I'll, I'll say this, man. I share a story with you. I, I had the opportunity a few years ago to talk with a pastor in my own city. He was a pastor of a predominantly black church, and he told me a story of a number of his members who were really upset that he didn't do more uh, for during the church service for Black History Month. Uh, apparently, the expectation of the congregants who raised the complaint was that during each service, during the month of February, there should be some sort of artistic expression to recognize the historic contributions of blacks within the culture. And, and while this, this pastor wasn't against celebrating Black History Month in whatever way that others saw fit, he was committed to having the gathering of the church maintain its focus on exalting Christ and equipping saints for works of ministry. Now, now, it was obvious as he discussed this issue with me that he was under tremendous pressure uh, in deciding what to do. And ultimately, he decided to tell the congregants that he was not interested in setting up the church church services in such a way as to focus on black history. Listen to this, man. As a result, 30 percent of his church members left the church. Wow. They left the church. And this is the kind of thing. I mean, th- these kinds of things come up in, in stories and headlines far away. But, man, when they when they hit home. And when you see the impact of of this a la carte Christianity that you talked mm-hmm. about, this a la carte ecclesiology that you talked about, they have massive, massive heart wrenching impacts. And the, these kinds of these are the kinds of people who are so focused on ethnocentrism that that they don't recognize the devastating impact and consequences that they follow. Wow, I totally agree. You know, uh, given what you just said, Omaha, I want to quote. I want to quote from John MacArthur. This is from a message he gave back. On November 15th, 1981, this was an observance of the 25th anniversary of Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur has now served as pastor there for more than 50 years. Mm. This message from MacArthur, okay, again, from November 15th, 1981, this message from John MacArthur was is titled The Calling of the Church. The Calling of the Church. And in that message, MacArthur said this, quote, He says, when people ask me, and they ask me all the time, how did we build Grace Church? I give them the same answer. We didn't. God did. Amen. That doesn't seem to help them. No. He says, we didn't. God did. But that answer doesn't seem to help them, MacArthur said. What they want to know is, what did you do? How can I take what you've got and make it into what, what it is that you're seeing in terms of results in my own location? How can I reproduce what you've got? How can I do this? But the problem is we are what we are because God called us into being, not because we made ourselves into what we are. We are the called. Now, if there's anything I believe about this church, if there's anything at all, the bottom line of everything, I believe this church is called into existence by God himself. Mm. And I believe what we are, we are because God has so ordained us to be that. It is not due to the expression of the religious genius of man or the charisma of some leaders or the power of persuasive speech or the affluence of our membership or the effectiveness of our facility or the wisdom of our committees or our programs or the result of hard work or brilliance. It is the work of God. This church has never been led by men, MacArthur said. This church has never been led by men. It has only been served by men. It has always been led by God through the Lordship of Jesus Christ, mediated by his, by the Holy Spirit through the word in the lives of obedient people. 
It is Christ's church. And I confess to you, and I like the name Grace Community Church very much, MacArthur said. But if I had a choice for the name of a church, I would name a church Christ's church so that nobody would have any question to whom it belonged. Wow. It is his church, MacArthur says. It is his church. He builds it. He leads it. He is the caller. We are the called. Wow. That's from John MacArthur all the way back in 1981. Now, the reason I want to share that quote from John MacArthur is that fundamentally what this Christianity Today article provides us with is a pitiful testament to the woefully sad reality that many professing Christians today have no concept of what a church is. Mm. They have absolutely no clue about what a church is. They have convinced themselves that the church is about them and not about Christ. As I said in the live recording we did at the G3 conference, Omaha, the concept of the church was in the mind of God before any of us ever existed. That's good. So with that being the case, why in the world should I ever be so prideful or arrogant as to treat God's church as if it was some kind of woke drive through where I get my feelings hurt if something I want isn't on the menu. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Thoughts, bro. Bro, first of all, that I'm gonna have to have you say that again. I mean that <laughs> that was so nice, you have to say it twice. I didn't know you were gonna land there, but man, that's that's something we need to hear again. Two things. One, you got to repeat that. And then two, the, the, man, the quote from MacArthur is so powerful. So what, t- say again what you just said as you closed your thought there. Yeah, you know, you recall this from the live recording that we did at the G3 conference. I mentioned there that the church, the concept of the church mm-hmm. was in the mind of God before any of us ever existed. Okay. We weren't even in existence. From eternity past, the church was an idea in the mind of God. So with that being in the case, Seriously, why in the world should I ever be so prideful? Should anyone who professes to be a believer in Christ ever be so prideful or arrogant as to treat God's church as if it were some kind of woke drive through where I get my feelings hurt if something I want isn't on the menu? That's how we're treating it. And the folks in this Christianity Today article are treating God's church as if it were some sort of woke drive through where you just pull up but you want something that's not on the menu and then when they tell you it's not on the menu you get your feelings hurt mm-hmm. and demand that they put it on the menu right 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 now, the, the other thing the other thing that i i loved is the the macarthur quote and it, it was it was a was that a message or was that from his book was that from, i mean yeah that's a sermon that's a sermon that he gave and we're going to be linking matter of fact we're going to link the christianity today article in the in the episode notes mm-hmm. we're also going to link to that sermon from macarthur yeah we, we've got to do that and uh that, that was so powerful it's 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 worth taking the time to really digest and unpack because i i think while while it's easy uh for us and because they're so abundant to find articles about those who 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 are beholden to to this woke ideology i i think we also need to make sure while at the same time pointing to that looking at ourselves and and examining our own hearts and lives in light of i think the words that macarthur uh shared in in that particular sermon man so again i think you brought up some great points uh, which is that many of us in our culture today, not just woke Christianity, we can easily find ourselves believing that the church is all about us. 
Uh, fortunately for the vast majority of us who fall into this trap, uh, Christianity today, uh, won't be able to write a virtue signaling article capturing our self-indulgence as needful change for all of evangelicalism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. we, we, we may have this, we may have this, this sinful idea in our heart. I, I, I man, it, it happens at every church. Uh, man, the music's too loud. Or the music's too soft or the music. I wish they'd sing this song. I wish they'd sing that mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Now, now it, there's no benefit in, in, Christianity Today or other news articles, finding those kinds of Christians and, and writing up virtue signaling articles about how they, how this hymn wasn't sang on that day. Mm-hmm. But, yep. but because, because of what's going on in our culture right now, it, it's really cool for Christianity Today to find this Indian guy who didn't feel like his felt needs were met, uh, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a minority culture and a majority culture, uh, that, that that's predominantly white, right? Mm-hmm. It, right. It's really, it's really cool for, for Christianity Today to find the, 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 the young black person who complained to her mother or father that they had to learn the, the black national anthem from, from Beyonce. So that Christianity today and, and groups like that will go find those people. But at the mm-hmm. same time, while they're doing that, we also need to check our own hearts and yep. see if there's some, if, if there be some wicked way on the inside of each and every one of us, uh, Indeed, that, that, we, that we, that we need to repent of, uh, in an effort to ensure that we're not falling into the same trap. That's all I'll say about that. Amen. That's a good word, Omaha. You know, um, in reflecting on the unfortunate reality that many, Professing Christians have no biblical concept of what a church is. I want to again quote from uh, John MacArthur from that same message that I just cited a moment ago. Mm. The message that John gave uh, back in 1981 titled The Calling of the Church, where he reflects on the 25th anniversary of Grace Community Church. MacArthur said this additionally, additionally rather, in that message. I love this quote. This is from John MacArthur from the message he gave in 1981, The Calling of the Church. Quote, the key to our identity, again, he's speaking of Grace Church, the, the, the church where he currently pastors. The key to our identity is in the last word, church. That's it. That sums up everything we are. We are not Grace Community Club. We are not Grace Community Company. Wow. We are not Grace Community Recreation Center. <laughs> wow. We are not Grace Community Child Care Agency. Wow. We are not Grace Community Self-Help Association. We are not Grace Community Divinity School. We are not Grace Community Convention Center, Grace Community Theater, nor are we Grace Community Psychological and Religious Maladjustment Center. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Now you, you and I both know if he did this rhetorically, bro, there would be some Hammond B3 in the background. I know. Because he know. is wrecking house right now, man. This is my only regret <laughs> that John didn't give this sermon back in the hood somewhere, bro. Right. We had a hammer B3 <laughs> ready for each one of these. Right, right. <laughs> but he nails it. Yes. Let me start from the top. Yeah, please, please. John, John says we, listen, again, John pastors at Grace Community Church. So understand what he's saying here in context. He said the key to our identity is in that, is in that last word, church. That's it. That sums up everything we are. We are not Grace Community Club. We are not Grace Community Company. We are not Grace Community Recreation Center. We are not Grace Community Child Care Agency. We are not Grace Community Self-Help Association. We are not Grace Community Divinity School. 
We are not Grace Community Convention Center, Grace Community Theater, nor are we Grace Community Psychological and Religious Maladjustment Center. We are Grace Community Church, and that's the key. That's why the world has such a difficult time understanding us because they don't understand what a church is. That term sets us apart from all other human institutions. And if you really understand the word church, you understand 25 years of history at this particular place. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. No other institution in the world is in any way like the church. And if we can understand what it means to be a church, then we can understand what we are, what we have been, and what we will continue to be. Now, MacArthur closes with this. MacArthur says, when we succeed, it is him, not us. That is, it is God, not us. But when we fail, it is us, not him. Unquote. Wow. Now, you know, Omaha, as I was preparing for this episode on work worship part two, I couldn't help reflecting on a very important passage in the book of Acts concerning Christ's church and how God himself, through the preaching of the gospel, monogistically builds his church. Amen. Amen. That passage is Acts chapter two, verses 36 through 42. And I'm sure some of our listeners are probably surprised that Acts chapter two has this many verses in it because normally they don't go past, you know, the first couple of verses of Acts where you hear that you have the tongues of fire coming right, down. But right, I, 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 <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but that passage is Acts chapter two, verses 36 through 42, where Peter is preaching. Okay. Peter says this Acts two, verses 36 through 42. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. One of the most clear verses on the doctrine of election that you'll find in scripture anywhere is Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. So then those who were added, I'm sorry. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3000 souls, 3000 souls. Now, having read that passage, I want to pause for a brief moment to exegete that last verse, verse 41, where it says that day there were added about 3000 souls. Now, the word souls in that verse is the Greek noun suki. That's P-S-U-C-H-E. That's where we get the English word psyche. Okay. That word souls in, in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 is the Greek noun suki, which denotes that in which there is the breath of life, a living being 
a moral being as regarded as that which has been designed for eternal life. Mm. Now, this idea of the soul as the breath of life is conveyed also in Job chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, where Job poses this question to his friends. Job says this, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. The word souls in Acts 2.41, that was from Job 11 verses 9 and 10, but the word souls in Acts 2.41 carries with it the same meaning as what we find in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, which reads, Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In other words, man became a living soul. Now, the reason this exegesis of the word soul is germane to what we're discussing in this episode about work worship part two and all that goes with it in terms of identity ecclesiology is that fundamentally, okay, fundamentally, the church exists to preach and proclaim a message of the salvation of souls. Not to extol the temporal and superficial virtues of a bunch of multi-ethnic crybabies. Okay? I want to make that clear. Wow. Fundamentally, the church exists for one reason, and that is to preach and proclaim a message of the salvation of souls. Not to extol the temporal and superficial virtues of a bunch of multi-ethnic crybabies such as what we just read about in this Christianity Today article. Wow, wow. Listen to me, listeners. I want everybody within the sound of my voice to pull up closely to the speaker so you can hear me on this. Mm -hmm. Listen, all that you and I are will one day turn to dust. We know this from verses such as Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, where it says, remember him, that is, remember God, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Mm. Is crushed. Then the dust, this is Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Wow. Now, the word dust in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, is a reference to all that we are in terms of our physical existence. So in the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, dust is the destiny of us all. (laughs) Dust is the destiny of us all. So your ethnicity, dust. Mm -hmm. Your perceived beauty or handsomeness, dust. Your physical talents and attributes of which you're so proud and boastful, dust. I can hear the Hammond B3 tuning up, brother. Your worldly accomplishments and achievements, dust. Mm. The wealth and material possessions you've accumulated in this life for yourself, dust. Mm. That blue check mark that denotes your celebrity status on social media, (laughs) dust. (laughs) All is destined for dust. Yes. My point here, Omaha, is this. The church exists to serve, honor, and glorify God by pointing you to him, not him to you. 
As I said in the live episode we recorded at the G3 conference, the mission of the church is not to look more like you, but to help you look more like Christ. Listen, your personal ethno-cultural predispositions and proclivities are completely irrelevant and insignificant in light of the foreordained plan of God to build for himself a redeemed people. In other words, a church. And to do that for his pleasure and for his glory, not yours. Now, in case anyone within the sound of my voice is confused by what I just said, please listen carefully to these words from Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Mm-hmm. Now, that was Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. Now, in light of that passage I just read in Revelation 4, 8 through 11, all one need do if they are confused about what is their place in the church versus what is God's place is look at that passage and see who's sitting on the throne and who's not sitting on the throne. Omaha, what you got, man? Bro, first of all, that the last six and a half minutes of commentary was was worth the whole show. I mean, I mean, what what you unpacked in that section was worth its weight in gold. Uh, it, it, I mean, from from the text of scripture going back, uh, starting with Peter's preaching, three thousand souls. You define souls. You unpack the breath of life. Good freaking night. This is, this is good stuff. I mean, th- this is why I tune into just thinking. <laughs> I'm going to just be real, right? I mean, this is the stuff. Look, part of this thing, man, is I get a chance to sit down. You know, when we, when we record, we usually record on Sunday evenings. I get a chance to sit down and listen to, to my brother unpack the text of scripture in this way. And then you get to hear me ramble on and kind of kind of tune up a little bit and preach on top of what you just laid down. And and this this section right here, I would encourage someone to take time to walk back through. The, the, one of the things that I love and you don't hear you don't hear Ecclesiastes preach from or talked about very often. But what you walk through in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7 is is something that man we should we should think about. We should really Amen. give thought to and meditate on so that and, and especially in light of of of, of how you exegeted the text uh where, where you talked about in terms of our, our physical existence man all of that's going to turn to dust that's yes, that's the, that's the destiny of us all the, yep, the, our, ethnicity, the destiny of all. Mm-hmm. our handsomeness our beauty uh, the things that we're proud about things that we boast about that's all turning to if we could keep our mind 
on that and that our soul ultimately will answer to God either in light of what Christ has done on a cross and and what we've what what what, uh, what we he he's ex- what he's done in expressing his grace to us and that we've ex- we've we've experienced that by faith uh and 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 have eternal life as a result or the very works that we were so proud of that have turned to dust will be those about which we'll be judged mm-hmm. and 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 ultimately damned for so though, mm-hmm. though I, I man i just i love that section i, I want to pause in an effort to amplify it and let our listeners know, man, if you don't go back and listen to the whole thing, take the time to go back and listen to the last six or seven minutes. Let me say this. That was all off the top of my head. Let me, let me, I wrote down a few notes, man. As, yeah, as do you, your thing, man. Do as your you thing. unpack that. I just, I love what you said about 3000 souls being added to the church. It reminds me of, of what I said during our G3 live episode where I said that the Bible provides no instruction for believers to be engaged in any form of evangelistic affirmative action. Man, I, wanna, I love. Hold, hold on, bro. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Keep, keep, <laughs> cue the hammer. Cue the hammer up. We cue can't. I mean, it, it's it's insane, right? It it just reminds me that we the Bible provides no instruction for believers to be engaged in any form of evangelistic affirmative action in order that the right number of blacks, Hispanics, people of color have have access to entrance into a specific church. Christ died for those that the Father has given him. Amen, and, and, bro. Wow. And and our desire after the fact to somehow predetermine the perfect ethnic makeup that meets our sociocultural whims is absolutely ridiculous. I, I, I also I'll say this and, and turn things back over. You also like what you said when you put into perspective, man, the temporal things which far too many of us spend way too much time. Yes. Yeah. Magnifying rather than magnifying Christ and Him crucified. Yes, Amen, bro. Man, thank you for that word, Omaha. You know, when you read closely, and again, we're going to link the article in the episode notes. But when you read closely this Christianity Today article, Omaha, you understand the futility of employing man-centered, programmatic efforts at achieving what God's Word says in Revelation seven is already a foregone eschatological conclusion. Mm-hmm. That's really what's so dumb about what we're reading in this Christianity Today article is that if you go to Re- Revelation seven, which is the end of the the end of all things and be, the beginning of other things, but the end of all things, if it's in Revelation, that means it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I don't get. Why why do these woke evangelicals not get that? What they're trying to program programmatically accomplish, God is and has already accomplished. So it's a foregone conclusion in the mind of God. But the pastors who are highlighted in this article, they're acting if it's that's, if, as if that's not the case, as mm-hmm. if Revelation 7 isn't even in the Bible. So they're right, acting right. as if this foregone eschatological conclusion is not the case. Mm-hmm. They're acting as if we somehow need to help God out with making <laughs> his church be what his word already says his church is going it's to gonna be. be. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Not a bit. I mean, do they not see that attempting to create a worship service that is so woke as to satisfy the sociocultural demands of every ethnicity represented in their congregation is tantamount to herding cats? Do they not see that? (laughs) Right, right. Do they not understand how utterly futile and hollow and endeavored that is? I mean, you know, Omaha, when you read this Christianity Today article, you can't help imagining yourself sitting in one of those worship services in one of those churches that were mentioned 
And all you hear is people incessantly yelling, hey, hey, but what about me? Right. Until the leadership of that church yields the primacy of the pulpit to Mm -hmm. their whining and complaining and finally gives them what they want. Mm -hmm. Like the elder at that church in Cincinnati who was so disheartened over the fact that lift every voice and sing wasn't sung often enough. (laughs) Or the pastor in Atlanta who essentially altered every aspect of his church's worship service. Right. To to appease the hurt feelings of one, just one petulant church member who wanted his Indian culture represented. Right, right. I mean, nowhere in that Christianity Today article is the preaching of the gospel mentioned. Mm. Not once. It's all about the church meeting the felt needs of woke evangelicals who have this kind of what I call solar system type of ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. They have this solar system ecclesiology in which they see themselves as the sun, right? And everything else about the church as revolving around them. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens when your visage of Christ's church is so inverted that you see it as existing to serve you as opposed to the other way around. Right. Now, anyone has, who has this perspective of the church should seriously consider studying 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26, where Paul stresses the fact that it is God alone who not only determines who will belong to his church, but also how his church is to function and operate. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on what? Now, I, I think that so, something that you talked about during the live recording at the G3 conference struck me. And it was when, and I, I know you remember when you talked about the arrogance that some of us hold mm-hmm. uh, about being a part of the body of Christ. And I think you said it's as if, it's as if some, some believe that they're somehow doing God a favor yeah. by being a member of a local congregation. You remember when you talked about that? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly what's going on here. And when, when I read Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Right? That's Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. To think that before God the Father determined to lay the very foundation of the world, that he had a plan to redeem a particular people for whom he would send Christ to die. That alone should blow our ever loving minds. It absolutely should cause us to fall flat on our face and worship God before we do anything in the morning. So, so when we know, when we know how our sin filled lives, uh, our, our, our lives rather are filled with, with sin, that God the Father would indeed send his son. Scripture says it this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Any true, here's the thing, any truly regenerate person should be unable to conceive of the goodness of God as expressed through his grace, that, that, that we've even been, been given a, an expression of his grace through his son, especially in light of the fact that we, actually, we absolutely deserve eternal damnation in hell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for, for any bro. for any one of us to think for any one of us to think that in addition to what god has already done to redeem us that we would have the right mm-hmm. to complain about the ethnic makeup mm-hmm. of a local body of believers yep or or any other temporal aspect of the of the church experience that is beyond 
insanity. And and he and here's where I'm at with this, brother. It, it really causes me to question whether or not a truly redemptive or regenerate work has actually begun in that individual at all. Wow, bro. Wow. It, 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 we have to at some point begin to say, what 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 were you saved by? Two, four. What are you saved? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if yeah. you're still reflecting upon these temporal outward expressions, you have no true concept of 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 the nature of your sin that you've committed against the Holy God and what those ramifications actually are. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have wow, to start bro. asking those questions. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree, bro, man. Well said Omaha, you know, and before I turn, I'm going to turn it back over to you here in a second for some final thoughts as we get towards the end of this episode of the just thinking podcast. But I do want to share first with our listeners, these words from the apostle Paul from first Corinthians four verses six and seven. This is the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul said this, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. This this is going to line up with the, a lot of what you just said, Omaha. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Mm. Verse 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? Yes. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Mm. That was the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. Now, I cite that text. Because there are those in the church who, when it comes to this matter of multi-ethnicity, believe it is, is they, they, they believe that it's they themselves who are responsible for the ethnicity that they possess. <laughs> right, right. That's, if, that's a great, you gotta stop. That's a great point. That's a yeah. great point, right? I mean, seriously, they act, you know, on this whole matter of multi-ethnicity, they act, and matter of fact, they're convinced that it's they themselves who are responsible for the ethnicity they possess. Right. As if, as, as, as if their melanin level were self-created or self-induced. Right. And that it is of any salvific value in terms of eternity. Right. Right, right, right. right. They think they're the ones responsible for right. it. Right. I got a, I got a question I got to interject here, man. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> Why is it that most of our, our, our lighter skinned brothers, you know, seem to be the ones most woke? Is this something to that man? I mean, I mean, <laughs> you, you go out in history, man. I mean, it, Malcolm X. That's a, that's a pretty high yellow brother right there, right? That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and even that's today, true. and even today, currently, man, some of the most woke folk are the folk that really, on the melanin scale, are a little melanin challenged. If you if you ask me, yeah. Now that's a great question, but that's something I've never considered. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, know, I know, and so I'm wondering, like, it's kind of like short man's. I'm a short guy, so I know a little <laughs> bit about, I know a little bit about short man's d- disease. And so what, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So listen, so what, what we Ooh. do is, what we have a tendency to do is, because we're short, I, I reckon, look, I'm five foot six. I, I know I'm a short dude. What we do to compensate is we have big mouths, right? So we, <laughs> we do. So, so. We'll talk big game. You know, I talk a lot. You know, I learned to kind of mute that a little bit, but we, we, we open our mouths real wide and are doing a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of yipping and yapping, right? Uh-huh, just to, uh-huh. just to compensate. Uh-huh. So, so there are times, man, when I wonder when, when some of these brothers on the melanin scale, you know, are little, I mean, they, they, they're not white, 
Right. But, you know, you, you got, you got, you know, white, light, and, and, you know, can't be and, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna say almost white. I'm gonna say light, right, and can't be right, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, most of these lighter skinned brothers are the ones chop, you know, yipping and yapping. I'm like, what are y'all trying to overcome? You're kind of, there's some overcompensation that's actually Definitely. happening here. Definitely, bro. You know you what know. I'm saying? I don't know. Just, see, ma- I don't, just make a know. mental note. Just make a mental note and just kind of see what, see if, see, see if my, if, if, if what I'm saying actually bears itself out. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. I'm going to have to track that, man. We're going to have to plot that on that Excel spreadsheet, man. See, <laughs> see, we're going to have to plot that down, man, and see if that, see how that trends. Right, right, right. You, you, I, I know, I know you've got those analytical skills. I know you'd be able to pull that together for us. So indeed, player. We'll do, we'll do something to document that, man. <laughs> We're gonna quantify that either, you know, qualify that either uh true or false, bro. But that right, might be an right, episode right. that might be an episode in and of itself, man, now that you bring it up. I'm telling you. I, I can't imagine what the title would be though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my point is, man, you know, the the more you, you sort of monitor this uh, whole woke landscape, there are people out there, the woke. Right. Who believe that they they themselves are responsible for the ethnicity that they possess. Exactly. And that, that they but this was my my point earlier about it all turning to dust. Because, but, and they, in, in believing that, that they're responsible for the level of melanin that they possess, right. they believe that it has some sort of intrinsic value, mm-hmm. uh, in terms, either salvifically or, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in terms of justification, uh, mm-hmm. sanctification or something like right. that. But when you right. read passages, when you read passages such as the one that I just read from in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, and you augment that text with what is written in Acts 17, Verses 26 and 27, where it reads, and God, and he rather, and he that is God made from one man, that one man being Adam, every nation. And in the Greek, we know that that word nation is the word ethnos. Right. From where we get our English word ethnicity. And he made from one man every nation or every ethnicity of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. When we read Acts 17, 26 and 27, up against 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, when we read those two passages together, we realize that none of us has any reason to boast in or take pride in our ethnicity or any other aspect of our physical existence because we're not the ones responsible for it to begin with. God is mm. okay. So to the churches mentioned in the Christianity Today article that we've been discussing in this episode, as well as those who may happen to share that same woke worship perspective of the church, I want to ask you one question. I want to ask you this. What right do you have to make any demands of God's church as if saving your wretched soul from his eternal wrath wasn't enough? Come on, somebody. Come on. I mean, serious. Mm-hmm. What right do you have as if God saving you from an eternity experiencing his wrath wasn't enough? Mm-hmm. This goes back to what I said earlier. For many within the church, this whole woke evangelical movement is basically declaring that Jesus Christ is not enough for me. Mm-hmm. You got to sing my songs. You got to serve my food. You got to have my cultural uh, uh, proclivities represented in the worship service, mm-hmm. or I'm not going to worship here. Right. Again, as you alluded to earlier, to what I said at the G3 conference episode, Virgil, as if you're doing God a favor. 
Right, 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 right. I mean, I, I mean, please. Okay, look, before I get going again, let me close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Mm. Spurgeon said, now listen to this quote from Spurgeon in light of these uh, woke white uh, crybabies, these woke whiners that we've been talking about in this Christianity Today article. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. And by the way, before I read this quote, let me just say this. Because the, the, the evangelical church has been uh, basically kidnapped, hoodwinked mm-hmm. by such a, 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 a an evangelicalism that is so sensitive to the slightest offense. I mean, 95 percent of people who call themselves evangelical would not last five minutes Mm-mm. listening to a sermon in person under somebody like a Charles Spurgeon right. or Martin Lloyd-Jones. Right. They wouldn't last five minutes. But Spurgeon says this, listen to this quote. Spurgeon says this, will you follow the wicked policy of separating your own personal interests from those of your redeemer and his church? If so, your ship is wrecked before it leaves the harbor. You are no child of God. If this principle holds the mastery over you. Your salvation lies not in your separation from Christ and his church, but in your union with them. Over the sea of life, there is no passing in safety, but in the vessel which carries your Lord and his disciples. Are you going to sail in a separate boat or will you try to swim across the sea in your own strength? Then look to yourself and expect disaster, unquote. That's from the great preach, Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Close us out, Omaha. Brother, I just, you know, am excited that we had another run at this. And I think to the point you made earlier, uh, there were a lot of folks who, who wanted us to kind of take our time and, and walk through this and unpack this. And just for the sake of, of the time that we had and trying to be respectful of, of the space we were in, um, we, we made sure that we did that, but we wanted to make sure that for those who were, who were really wanting to, to, for us to do a deeper dive uh, into this, to unpack things in the way that we did, uh, in this particular episode. I'm, I'm really uh, excited that we've put this together. Uh, like I said, I, I already, I already made note of the, the favorite section, uh, that I had where you kind of walked us through, uh, the text of scripture. And so I'm, I'm again thankful to our fans for all that that they're encouraging us to do and to be a part of. I want to mention a couple things, man, before we head out of here. Yeah, and if, you, yeah if you've hung with us this long uh, and are on the back end, I, I think it's important that that, that we mentioned, Daryl and I uh, mentioned that we're going to be a part of uh, in February on the 7th and 8th uh, at Faith Baptist in, in, a, in, in Bartlett, Tennessee. Uh, the gospel is enough and it is a it is a biblical look at the social justice movement. We, we won't be doing a, a podcast there. Uh, Daryl and I both uh, will actually be speaking there. So if you're in, if you're in that area in Bartlett uh, or close to the Memphis area, I would encourage you to, to definitely stop by, check us out. You can go on the uh, gospel. The gospel is enough uh, dot com and, and, and register uh, to be a part of that. I definitely want, we definitely would love an opportunity uh, to meet you there, to connect with you there uh, and to see you in that space. It's going to be amazing. A lot of Great speakers are going to be there. We're going to be doing some some exciting stuff. So definitely want you to tune in uh, to be a part of that. Uh, stop by, uh, connect with us. But again, thank thankful to all of our listeners again who followed us this far, who enjoyed this episode. Uh, for for Daryl, for myself, thanks for being a part of this particular podcast. Join us next time for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ centered 
gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting his church and his people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.